With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your podcast coming to you from the Exile Brewing Company studios. I am John Miller. Along with me tonight is Rob Howe of HawkeyeNation.com as well. And Rob was over in Iowa City today where he lives in Iowa City. So he was at the uh, press conference or, you know, availability of Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, Phil Parker. Rob, let's start with, um, let's start with the quarterback just because I think a lot of people are thinking about that and then, uh, I'll get to what really excites me on this one. Um, Kirk Ferentz saying today that it's still a race. And I brought this up with Dace last night. And I think, I, I can't remember if I brought it up, if you and I brought it up last week, we may have. But, I, you know, I tend to believe him. You know, for a while I thought it was just going to be coach speak that you're saying it's a race because you want to keep, you, you want to keep Uyghurs engaged. You don't want him to transfer. Uh, because then basically your backup is going to be Ryan Boyle or, or Drew Cook or Peyton Mansell, and Cook has since moved to tight end. So I kind of figured it was just, I mean, I don't, ploy is probably a, a strong word, but just figured it was going to be Nathan Stanley since they burned his red shirt last year and he beat Uyghurs out last year. But at this point in time, if, if it's not close, if it's not too close to call, the players in practice know that more than anybody else would. And if you're out there in the media then saying it's too close to call, I just think that that could potentially be a little bit of disruptive talk. So I, I, I'm going to believe him. I still think it's going to be Nathan Stanley as a starter, but what, what's your take on all of it? Yeah, I would agree with you. I read it the same way. Um, and I'll add Brian Ferentz. Um, you know, he, he went out of his way to say that in these type of situations, whether it's quarterback or any other position, the key to everything is being transparent with the players, with everybody on the team, so everybody knows where they stand. Um, and I think that's one uh, its one of the good things and, and one of the, the better attributes of this coaching staff is they they do lay it out there. Um, they, they let people know that they're going to have to earn their spots, and I, I think that's it, it's what they're doing with the quarterback situation is in line with their, you know, MO with, with pretty much everything they do. Um and, and as Kirk said today, you know, if, if one of these guys would have separated himself by now, we would have named the starter. I don't see any benefit this, at this point in not naming a starter right. if you know who it is. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, but Kirk's saying that they'll probably make their minds up next Monday. Um, I was going to put a depth chart out. Typically, they put it out Friday, um, basically eight days before the first game. And then once they get into the regular season week schedule, they put them out Monday at about noon. So, um I, I would maybe, maybe he puts a press release out Monday, or maybe he just waits till next Tuesday's in week uh, press conference. I don't know. Who's your bet? I would say, I mean, I think the smart money's probably still on Stanley, but that it's went this long has me questioning that each as each day passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're seeing something there that I guess the rest of us haven't seen to this point, and that's fair because we we get we get very small. Uh, windows of opportunity to see these guys, whether it be, you know, the, the open practice in West Des Moines or spring game or kids day, that's basically it. Those are our three opportunities. And I think Kirk said they were at 20 practices today. Right. So that we saw one of 20. So something's going on there that has led them to, to get to this point, you know, 11 days before the first game of the season to not having named the starting quarterback yet. Um, so Wiggers must be doing something right for him not to have eliminated himself to this point. Um, and who knows? Uh, maybe, I mean, I think we, it leaves us to on the outside to kind of read into it 
Um, what are the reasons? Right. Uh, and you just can only go on kind of what they have said. And, and Brian said to the Big Ten Network guys that, you know, he feels like Tyler has a good grasp on the offense and maybe more command in the huddle. Maybe those are the things that right now are keeping him in this race. Yeah, and, and I think that may, maybe it's, and again, this is just me speculating, maybe it's what Stanley's not doing consistently. And maybe Uyghurs is doing, maybe Uyghurs is making the makeables and putting money in the bank more consistently than Stanley. And again, I'm, I don't have any intel on this one like I did a little bit with the Beathard thing a few years ago and that, you know, in practice, Beathard was always trying to throw it through the tightest windows and trying to impress the coaches to jump over Jake Rudock and maybe trying too hard. I don't think we're in that type of situation right now. So... I don't know. It's it's not exactly the most comforting thing. If I believe that these guys were just both playing at such a high elite level, then that's one thing. I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that it's not, but my guess is it, it, that it isn't. So obviously the most important position in all of football and, and maybe in all of professional sports is your starting quarterback. And uh, it was a question mark coming into the season, and here we are, what, 11 days away from the first game, and still don't know that's yeah, that's a little I, uncertain uh, un- uncomfortable and i wouldn't i mean i don't think i think maybe fans have gotten the impression that nathan stanley is head and shoulders above tyler wiggers and again it's it's only you know coming out of that kids day practice i saw headlines uh, i forget which paper it was that you know separation saturday and i think I think we were probably guilty in the media of assuming that that was the deciding day. And I just, it hasn't been. Um, and, and and make no mistake, Nathan Stanley is not, you know, a proven college quarterback. And he has some flaws that are, are definitely recognizable when you watch. He, he doesn't always put touch on the ball. He's got a strong arm, but he throws it, tries to throw it through a wall a lot of times. His accuracy isn't great. His footwork still needs work. There are, are flaws there, and there are flaws on both sides, and I think that's what's making the decision so hard. And what Kirk said today, and I'll read this quote from the story that's on the site, um, talking about last year, one of the reporters asked him today, you know, that he said, you know, Nathan Stanley clearly won this backup job last year, and Kirk stopped the reporter and said, no, it wasn't clearly. And he went on to say, that was a close decision. It's just the way it works. Every year you evaluate differently and let guys compete. Last year, Nate was slightly ahead of Tyler, and right now it's pretty much neck and neck. We'll see where it is next weekend, and then we'll probably make a decision. Hmm. So he's, he's letting you know that, that it was close last year. When, when Stanley beat out Wiggers, and I and I already had somebody tweet at me today, when did the fans start getting upset that we burned Nathan Stanley's red shirt last year? Well, that's what I was just going to come back they with. Start, if he's named the starter next week, the, the fans will start saying, well, why the heck did we burn Stanley's red shirt? There, and, and I think it would be a good question. I mean, yeah. if, if, if Kirk acknowledges himself that it was really, really close, well, if it was really, really close last year, then I don't know why you burned a shirt. So, yeah, I guess I guess in his defense, you could say they were preparing Stanley for this competition, and because I don't know how much Tyler already had the backup year in 2015, would he have been that far much farther ahead last year had he been the backup? Because I think he was getting some decent reps last year too. But yeah, I mean, I, it's just it's an it's an inexact science this whole thing, and uh, I think it's just unique for us because we're just. We're usually not in this position discussing right. this at this point in the year. We never have actually since the uh, since the uh, you know Randy Reiner's Kyle McCann, uh, who was the uh, Scott Mullen days. Yeah, and then it was uh, then it was you know Butcher involved in it, and and he didn't get the job, and then and Mullen got the job that next year, and yeah. but- and Butcher left. Um, you know, and then of course it was Stanzi and Christensen. Although I think I think Christensen probably had he certainly had the edge in Kirk's mind going through that camp um but there there haven't been too many of those and and the, you know if Uyghurs is named the starter I, I don't think that the why did you burn Stanley's red shirt is necessarily a hill to plant your flag and die on quite frankly because when you look back through the history of Iowa quarterbacks not just in the Ference era but in the Fry and Ference era you, you can you may be able to name 
three or more year starting quarterbacks for Iowa on one hand. You had yeah. Chuck Long. Um, I don't know if Matt Rogers was a three year. I can't recall. I know he was at least two. Um, then after that, gosh, you got to work your way through to Drew Tate, I think. And then yep. Ricky Stansley. Uh, Ricky Stansley wasn't a full three year starter. He was a full year, two year starter and split time in 08. So yep. we we are talking less than one hand. We're not even talking all five fingers. So two years, that's a different story. Two years is probably, I would say, you know, maybe even less than two years. One point eight years is your average uh, over that time. So again, it's it's not it's not like talk show radio fodder to scream and yell. Why did you do that? But you know, it's it's a worthwhile question probably. But and I I think what we talked about with them with the coaches today too is I think if you were looking at two quarterbacks with completely different skill sets and strength and weaknesses strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses i think it would be more of a there would be more of an urgency to name a guy sooner but as as brian said today and kirk echoed it the game plan is not going to change no matter you know it may slightly be tweaked if one or the other of these guys is in there but they're they're still going to do what they do, and both of these quarterbacks are pro style pocket passing quarterbacks. So, it gives them more time to to sort through this thing. Yeah. Matt Rogers was uh, a three year starter. He uh, was eighty nine, ninety, ninety one, um, and this these I, I remember these stats now that I'm looking at them. Sophomore year passing yards two thousand two hundred twenty two, junior year two thousand two hundred twenty eight. Senior year, 2,275. I mean, just so similar. His yards per attempt went up as the years went on. 41 touchdown passes, which probably ranks him, I'm guessing, fourth or fifth all-time for a career. Um, probably behind Tate, Long, Stanzi. Um, that might be it. So, anyhow. Um, okay, so we, we've, we've knocked the quarterback stuff probably a little too far into the ground. Took 10 minutes there. This, to me, what I'm about to... I mean, I, I kind of joked about it a little bit on Twitter. But, boy, do I think the lead kind of maybe got buried a little bit today. Um, but then again, it was so buried, nobody really talked about it till later in the day. But so, so maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. You tell me. But a quote from Phil Parker, Iowa's defensive coordinator, from his exposures today. Quote, I think it's the best we've been up front. He's talking about defensive line. It's the best we've been up front as a whole since I've been defensive coordinator here. End quote. And he began the defensive coordinating duties, I want to say, in 11 or 12? 12. 12. Yeah. He and Davis both took over at the same time. Oh, yeah. So 2013. I think. I think you may be right. Maybe it could have been a year earlier. I, I can't remember when Norm passed, um, but really he was defensive coordinator, you know, for all intents and purposes before then because of, of Norm's health for a year before it was official and the whole staff was trying to pitch in. This uh, let's see, sixth season as defensive coordinator. Is that right? I'm looking at. Okay. I, I, yeah. I don't trust these bios on HawkeyeSports.com. No offense if anybody from there is listening, but sometimes on the computer they don't update as quickly as they should. Sure, sure. That's why you download the media guide to your desktop and away you go. (laughs) Um, The 2013 Iowa defense, we know he was a coordinator of that group that had the three phenomenal linebackers. They ranked 19th in the nation in run defense and 6th in total defense. The 2015 defense um, ranked 15th in the country in rushing defense and 22nd in total defense and rush defense is typically during the Ferentz era what I kind of hang my hat on a little bit obviously scoring defense is very important too and both of those groups did well there that is a freaking mouthful in my opinion for Phil Parker to say that for him to come out and, and speak with such platitudes like that I mean there's really no there's really not a lot of upshot benefit to say something like that that I can think of. You're almost setting yourself up for trouble unless it's near the ballpark of being true. Obviously, a lot of flexibility with guys inside and out. AJ Epinesa makes a, a big impact there. That's that's. Were, were you taken aback by that quote as I was? 
Um, yeah, I think initially whenever an Iowa coach says something that, you know, definitive or um, puts things in, in perspective like that, it, it leads one to, to raise an eyebrow. It was 2012, by the way, that he took over. Okay. So, um, but when I think when I thought about it more, I started to think about it when when he took over the defense um, was, uh, I believe, the same year that um, Reese Morgan switched from offense to defensive line when Brian Ferentz came in the offensive line. And again, and you know, and anybody who's listened to us on here or listened to me elsewhere or what I've written, I'm a huge Reese Morgan fan. And he's really done a, just a tremendous job of building up the defensive line that really had deteriorated toward the end of Rich Kaczynski's run. He had some some really good defensive lines in, you know, 08, 09, 2010. Oh, yeah. Those were really good, but it, it felt it, he kind of lost his magic touch with that. And really, they I mean, they had to play, I think in 2012, they had to play Drew Ott as a true freshman at defensive end, and he was coming off of eight-man field. Yeah, and they played him like game seven or game eight. Yeah. So they were hurting. Um, so when I think about it in those terms, John, I, I it makes sense. They've recruited well at that position. They've done, they've dedicated a lot of scholarships over the last several years to that posi- those positions uh, along the off- or defensive line. Um, and now they're developing those guys with Reese and, and Kelvin Bell developing those guys. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And this is definitely the best group of linebackers since the, the Kirksey, Morris, Hitchens threesome. Um, I, I can't put I can't put this group ahead of that group or no. even with that group at, group at this point. But I think they're better on the, on the line than they were in 2013. Yeah, the the thirteen defense was ninth in the country in scoring defense, and the fifteen was was nineteenth. And, and last year's defense was thirteenth, surprisingly enough, in scoring defense, which doesn't even make sense. I'm gonna have to go back and recheck my numbers on that just to be sure. Does that uh, include the Penn State? <laughs> <laughs> hang on a second. Hang on a second. I, I got to find this out now. I got to go to the national since we can do this on the fly. Scoring defense 2016. Iowa was thirteenth in the country in scoring defense in 13 games, which included the Penn State game. Well, if you think about it, what did Iowa State score three points? Um, North Dakota State, that game was, was a defense, more of a defensive battle. Um, Wisconsin was low scoring. Michigan was low scoring. 14-13. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, Miami hung 21, Iowa State 3. North Dakota State 23, Rutgers 7, Northwestern at 38, Minnesota 7, uh, Purdue 35. Gosh, I must have. Oh, that, and, and that was like yeah. ju- junk time crap. Um, 17, Wisconsin, 41 to Penn State, 13, Michigan, 0 for Illinois. That helps out the average. Yep. That 0 for Illinois takes that Penn State 41 and cuts it to 20 and a half. Uh, yeah. And then 10 for Nebraska. So, yep. yeah, okay. Well. And the offense was so bad that you, you had to you have to figure that an eight win team would have a pretty solid defense. Yeah, and if they had an offense to speak of, that could have been a ten win team. And then and then Parker said this. Now, I'm not as convinced now after ruminating on a little bit that this is necessarily the best thing. He said we have knocked down more balls in this camp than I've ever known since I've been at Iowa, which is now eighteen years, nineteen years. Now, that could be a really good thing, or it means the quarterbacks aren't putting the ball where it needs to be. So he's talking from a defensive line perspective. I wasn't there when he said this. I'm, I'm not sure if it was defensive line or defensive backs. I don't know. Either way, either way, that could be – well, you know what? Defensive line, because when you look at it now, you've got what? A.J. is 6'5". How tall is Matt Nelson? 6'7 or 6'8". Yeah. Six seven or six eight. Uh, how tall is Lattimore? Six five. Yeah, he's probably six four, six five. Yeah, so you got some big, uh, big boys. Uh, Anthony in there. Nelson is six seven or six eight, I think. So you know, I've been. You know, my biggest challenge every August is sticking with my gut from the spring, as far as predictions and wins, and. Not letting the optimism creep in and cloud my objectivity, you know, with an asterisk. 
I start seeing things like this, and it's hard to tamp it down. I'm going to resist this year, and still I'm not going to alter my prediction any of six and six. Uh, sorry, you know, Kit Schneider or whatever your name is in the comment section. <laughs> um, but did, were you were you were you thinking of the of the front seven along this type of hyperbole lines at all? Or because I guess I, I've been concerned about defensive line for quite a while now. Maybe I'm not. I'm not as concerned about it now as I was. Um, and should I be concerned about the secondary? I was. I was encouraged, John, and we talked about this on a previous pod about how the defensive line looked at Kids Day. And I think what we didn't know is how Matt Nelson would look inside, how AJ might look if he gets a rep or two inside, how Parker Hesse would look. I mean, we kind of were, were hearing that those were possibilities, but to actually see them, you know, on Kids Day, that they have versatility now on that defensive line with some experience and with some really good athletes. You know, even when you go down to like a, you know, a, a, a Golston, um, a Brandon Simon, some of those guys that are in that two, three, ter- two and th- third team, second and third team areas, um, the depth there and ability to do some different things um, and do some different situational things. Um, and then you have the veteran linebackers that allow you a little bit more freedom to do that. The, the question for me has been in the secondary, and I still have questions with that. And I'm sure we'll talk about Rugamba in a minute, but. Um, those guys are really green. I mean, you talk about pretty much throughout the whole cornerback group, um, you know, Jake Gervais at, at free safety, which we've talked about before, is such a key position. And Miles Taylor did not have a good year last year. So you hope that that front seven can be as strong as, as Phil Parker thinks it could be because I think there could be some bumps early in the season in that secondary, and you're facing two really good quarterbacks out of the chute. Yeah, maybe maybe two of the most dangerous, you know, Buster Douglas style knockout punch passers. Well, I guess you got the guy, the kid from Penn State too. But there's a, there's there's some pretty good quarterbacks on Iowa schedule this year. Actually, pretty yes. dangerous quarterbacks. JT Barrett's pretty good. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> I mean, I, I was getting into it a little bit with a guy on Twitter today when I said that you know Manny Ragumba is going to be suspended for Iowa's first game, which was you know kind of breaking news out of the press conference. Kirk Ferentz saying that. He broke some team rules in the offseason, and this is his punishment. Um, something that I wouldn't necessarily have let out of the bag if I was a head coach until Iowa's defense took the field against Wyoming, but that's just me. But, um, you know, someone said, you know, and I said that, you know, Josh Allen from Wyoming may be the best quarterback Iowa sees all year. And he's like, yeah, JT Barrett sucks. I'm like, JT Barrett isn't on anybody's top 10 quarterbacks for the 2018 draft. He's a phenomenal college player. Uh, he's going to be setting records at Ohio State that likely – will not be broken in our lifetimes by another Ohio State quarterback, and maybe even some Big Ten numbers, but he is definitely dangerous for sure. So the Manny Ragumba move, you know, Michael Ojemudi is going to step in and, and be the one there uh, opposite of Josh Jackson. You know, and J- Jackson's had a lot of time um, in certainly nickel and dime situations, has made some, you know, spot uh, stints uh, due to injury. I think he's acquitted himself quite well. Manny Ragumba was just seemingly sounding pretty special. Uh, thus far, you know, it's one game, you know, how big of an impact. I mean, Wyoming, they are very, they're just as challenged at receiver, if not more so than Iowa coming into this season. They lost all of their horses. So I don't think they're going to be a fine-tuned machine either um, in this game. And, you know, I think Iowa's strategy is going to be to run the ball into the ground to keep that offense and that quarterback Allen off the field. Yeah. Um, and, and Kirk mentioned it today, and, and – you know, obviously, Rugamba and um, Josh Jackson, you know, th- those positions were open, and those are the two guys that have emerged as the starters. But Ojemudi was right in there, and Kirk mentioned today that all three of those guys are playing at a very um, acceptable level. He didn't say high level. I forget the term, in, you know, the terminology <laughs> he used. He only went so far. But but they, I don't feel like they feel, oh, no, we lost, you know, it, it's not like you lost Desmond King and you're putting somebody in there that I think the, the, the you know, the separation between Rugamba, Jackson, and Ojemudi is pretty close. But as Kirk said today, after that, it's Matt Hankins, who's a true freshman who, who looked good on kids' day, but now you're, you're hurting your depth 
you're going to the point now where if you go, as you said, if you want to go to a nickel or a dime against, you know, if Wyoming comes in and spreads it, spreads everybody out and you have to put the extra defensive backs in there, you're talking about probably Cedric Boswell, who's a redshirt freshman, Matt Hankins, who's a true freshman. You're really young in those spots. And that's really where the where missing Rugamba hurts the most. You're hurting not only not having him on the field, but you, you're – um, elevating other guys in, up the depth chart that have to now fill in against a team that that is going to try to pass I would think try to pass on Iowa yeah I, I would think so because they they also lost one of their all-time you know most productive rushers in school history so that's going to be their way into it so we touched on that folks Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have their five-year anniversary street party that's coming up on September 16th, plenty of beer and fun will be had, as well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now, $20 in advance, $25 at the door during that fifth anniversary party on September 16th. The brew pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. Any other aspects from the uh, gathering today that you thought worth noting? Kurt talked a little bit about Matt Quarles, the grad transfer from New, New Mexico, who has two years of eligibility, mind you. That's a, a special kind of grad transfer who can graduate in three years. Um, you talk with Brian Ferentz a little bit about offensive line. Any other highlights? Yeah, I think those are, those are the, you know, it didn't sound, Kirk was asked about the receivers today too, and he didn't. He, he was asked if anybody had emerged, and he said, no, nobody's really emerged. He kind of indicated that the true freshmen were having their ups and downs, all the stuff that you would expect, um, but still that's the, that's kind of the elephant in the room, John, is that wide receiver position. What is it going to be able to do to complement this running game, um, you know, an offensive line play. And can the offensive line be better in pass pro? That They've not been good the last two years in that. That's still, to me, when you talk about the secondary on defense and the perimeter on offense, wide receiver, um, you know, where are those going to be at at the beginning of the season? Because I, I almost got the impression today, and, and Brian said this too, that the receivers are still a work in progress, and that could take some time this season to kind of sort through that. So um, I'm interested to see how much they will install and how much they'll put on the plates of those guys early in the season. And Quarles, it didn't sound – Kirk said he thinks they can he can help him this year, but it didn't sound like he would be helping. And the kid didn't get here, I think, until Tuesday of last. He's only been in pads for a week. So it makes sense it's going to take him a little bit longer to, to get acclimated and, and be able to contribute. Yeah, I, I don't have any expectation for, for Quarles, really, um, this year. And I'm not saying that he won't play. I'm sure that he will. I just don't have expectations. And, you know, it's the, it's the thing that we've been talking about before. We, we spent a lot of time talking about quarterback earlier. And, and who knows – how challenging it's been for both Nathan Stanley and Tiger, Tyler Wiegers to find any consistency or rhythm in practice when you have so many inexperienced guys you're throwing to, not only at receiver, but tight end. Yep. I mean, this is... I, I sometimes wonder if Kirk Ferentz has nightmares about trying to throw the football period this year. Yeah, he's... I'm looking for the quote that he had in my... Not, not like last year wasn't a nightmare for the whole dang season, by and large. Uh, I'm trying to see. Here's from Kirk from today. We have a lot of movie, moving parts in the passing game. <laughs> I love when he says that. That's, a, that's kind of a euphemism for, hey, we got a lot of guys and we don't know who can play. Um, it would probably be easier for both of them. He's talking about what you just said, Wiggers and, and Stanley, if we had just a lot of returners on the perimeter. We don't, so that's a little bit tougher for us to evaluate. But then he finishes with, I'm comfortable, we'll be ready to play next Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have a choice uh, in that. Um, you know, a little talk about true freshmen uh, playing. Do you think you think Tristan Wirfs on the offensive line is going to play? I couldn't tell. Um 
Brian was a little evasive about that today, just when he was asked about the offensive line. Um, I got a sense that Alaric Jackson's going to be worked into some, some type of rotation. Um, it sounds like they're going to use, they're going to rotate some guys on the offensive line. At least that's what they want to do. Um, and if that's the case, I, I would, you know, from what Brian said today, physically and, and mentally, it seems like Tristan has picked things up very well from physically. He was ready last year. Um, but mentally, he seems to have uh, hit the ground running. So Brian was was encouraged by that today. He did miss a little practice uh, with an injury. Um, he was out probably, you know, a half a week to a week. Um, so that probably put him behind a little bit. But, um, you know, I think Ross Reynolds is going to play on that offensive line. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how many guys they, they use on the offensive line. And I would not be surprised at all to see Ike Becker line up and be the left tackle. I think he's kind of been groomed for that. I think he's the guy who's taken the most strides this offseason. Um, and I would not be surprised at all to see him line up uh, at that, that blind spot for the quarterbacks uh, come week one. What about running back? Obviously, you've got, you know, Akin Wadley and Butler and Torin Young, but it, it seems you're going to play four running backs probably at a minimum at some point in time. Uh, do you think Ivory Kelly Martin is going to burn the shirt this year? Man, Brian certainly. It certainly sounded from Brian's when asked about it today. It certainly sounded like Brian was leaning that way. Um, here's here's the quote on on Kelly Martin from Brian Ferentz. He's demonstrated the ability to catch the ball. He's demonstrated the ability to run it. He's been pretty good in blitz pickup. He's showing some physical toughness there. And, and, and then he's demonstrated some value on special teams as well. That's always a big thing for young guys, getting them closer to the field. If you're going to have a limited role on offense, then shoot, you better have a lot of special teams value. Right now, he's in the process of earning that. Hmm. What's that sound like to you? Sounds like he's playing. Yeah, it does to me too. So <laughs> it sounds like special teams work and then probably some mop up duty carry wise, I would think, behind the top three. Yeah, right. What what do you think special teams wise? Is we talking gunner, we talking return guy? Um, could be return, could just be a guy, you know, on kick coverage, kick return. Who who knows? They like to have guys out there with hands with different formations and kickoff now they they put two guys back there so it's hard to say um the interesting thing for me is if he does play and you go four deep what do you do with tokes that you got a redshirt yeah i would think so uh, yeah. because you lose you lose wadley and butler next year so that opens the thing up again uh because uh, Sean Bryan, I saw him walking out of practice today with his left arm in a sling. So he's definitely destined the red shirt. Um, so, and then you've got Henry Gill coming in next year. Um, so you got a guy, you know, Tokes had that experience last year. If you can get Kelly Martin that experience this year, kind of like the Wiggers Stanley thing, I think you'd do it. Yeah, I think so. And that position, especially because it. it, it more so than quarterback everyone always talks oh you know you're a hit away from your backup quarterback playing realistically more so with the guys carrying the football running it those guys are a little more likely you're going to need three or four there versus you're going to need two or three quarterbacks um iowa's future got a lot better today uh you had a great feature in the can and ready to roll on the commitment of uh four-star indiana high school cornerback DJ Johnson, a player who had multiple offers, including an offer from Notre Dame. And on his mother's birthday, which was really such a key part of the great story, just their close bond, um, he committed to Iowa today. Uh, What do you think of him based on what you've seen? And I I know a number of people have tweeted this at me and are going to think about it in light of, you know, Ohio State potentially lurking in the background. Do you think that this is going to stick, this commitment? <laughs> and I covered that in the story today that, you know, the Ohio State angle. Um, he feels like Ohio State's still going to offer. I think they told him that they're going to offer at some point. Um, they had asked him to delay his de- announcement, his his commitment. And he, he told me he was put off by that, that they didn't respect that he was doing it on his mother's birthday. Um, so I don't know. You know how recruiting goes, John. It's a, little things like that can be deal breakers a lot of times for people. And I get the sense that as long as there's just not a complete collapse this year um, on the field, that they're in good shape with him 
and the bonus for the for these for this thing now um from an iowa perspective is that early signing day in december mm-hmm. that's a big that is a key for iowa that they're not going to be they're not going to be able to poach other schools prospects late in the process as much as they were in the past but they're not going to get poached as much either and i think that's a benefit to iowa there's no question it's something that we've talked about for a number of years how a program like iowa who who does do such a great job of identifying talent finding diamonds in the rough you know the the alabama the ohio states the poachers of the world they're really going to have to accelerate their evals faster than before in some regards to to go out and look at these poach worthy guys and and maybe offer them earlier than ever before but um and it was predictable that Saban and and Urban Meyer both came out and didn't like the early signing day well of course they don't of course they don't they wouldn't (laughs) they wouldn't win an earlier one either because they're the haves. They're, they're the they, 100 they pound gorillas. They poach each other's players. They poach players from each other in Michigan and the other Blue Bloods. And then when they get poached, they just poach Iowa's guys. Right. Michigan State. Yeah. And Wisconsin. Yeah. They're, they're, their fallbacks are, are, you know, three and four star kids who, you know, went to places like Iowa. Uh, that's their fallback. And no, I, I agree with you. And, and really. That early signing period, you know how Kirk's used the uh, are we dating or are we holding hands analogy a number of times through the years? This this early signing period is a built-in are we dating or holding hands. Yeah, without question. And now it's in December, you know, and it's and I, there are going to be cases, John, where a kid is going to be maybe early December now, maybe where there's a – you know, there there is a, a more of a name brand uh, that comes in late. You know, like you said, got places like Ohio State, Alabama, they're going to now move up their clock for poaching. And it's going to put these kids, I think, some kids in a difficult spot in that December area. Do I wait and hope that Ohio State offers or do I stick with my commitment to Iowa and um That'll be. I think that's going to make. It's going to probably make my job a heck of a lot harder trying to track that stuff. But I think it's going to make it harder for uh, the coaches as well to try to to navigate through that. And um, as far as as DJ Johnson, um, he just. I get a sense from him that that he feels like Iowa is the place for him, even if if Ohio State were to come come in late. Um, and he does have a connection there too that I that I wrote in the story. Uh, Anthony Dean, who worked in the administra- sports administration here, um, played here, played football here, is his defensive coordinator and secondary coach at Indianapolis North Central. Um, and not that he steered DJ towards Iowa, but I, I think he has that influence on him that you know, hey go with the school that wants you for you and not just is looking to plug a hole. Um, and he, DJ kind of mentioned that to me in the story that that's what he felt wanted at Iowa. His mom also said it felt like they wanted my son. Um, and that's a big thing for these kids these days and, and for their parents um, and his, his situation coming from a, you know, a single parent home where his mom's working two jobs for the last nine years um, you know, he has an appreciation for hard work, and I think he kind of fits into the fabric of what the Hawkeyes are about. Yeah, that's a great story. I, I urge you to go read it on the website. Go to HawkeyeNation.com, and I believe you can just there, at the top there are a number of things you can click on. Click on recruiting, uh, and the headline is "Mom's Love Leads Four Star Indianapolis Cornerback DJ Johnson to Iowa." And as always, it is free. Um, Oh man, I just I was sitting here racking my brain, Rob, how I could weave Iowa basketball into the conversation. <laughs> um, I knew you were let the Peter Jock stuff go. Well, they, there you go. That's another one. That's another one. But I'm more talking about the future. But yeah, Peter Jock um, looks signing a partially guaranteed deal with the uh, Phoenix Suns, so he'll be you know one of 20 players in their camp fighting for probably maybe two, maybe three. Were you uh, surprised he did positions. that as opposed to going to Europe? Well, it's what Jared Utoff did last year. That's true. And I think Utoff got like fifty grand or something like that. 
to and then to come in and compete so you know let, let's say pete got the same deal and i don't know if it's the same deal financially but let's say that it is say it's 50 grand you get 50 grand you get to go try out very unlikely you're going to make it no disrespect to pete it's just math i mean i don't know how many open roster spots the suns have but it's probably no more than two or three um, even if it's four, do they need? You know, obviously Pete had an opportunity with some other pro, with some other organizations too. So maybe this is the most advantageous from a shooting guard standpoint. But you know, you get fifty grand, and you have an opportunity. If you don't get it, then you can go to the D League, and you're not going to make a ton of money in the D League. But G League. I'm sorry, the G League. Yeah, the Gatorade <laughs> League. <laughs> I'm to the extent of my uh, current NBA analysis uh, analytical skills. You know, you maybe make 70, 80 grand in the first year, but you took took a shot at the NBA and you try to improve your position and hopefully you play well and get some 10-day contracts and do things like that. So, I'm not surprised. Um I also won't be surprised if he's in the if he's in Europe next year. I don't, I don't know what Utah is doing. He was cut by the um, the Houston Rockets on July 31st. Otherwise, I think they had to pay him a quarter-million-dollar roster bonus, and that didn't happen. I don't know what camp he's going to be in, and he's probably got a decision to make to try and stick around and, and try this NBA thing again on 10-day contracts or go overseas and make six figures. So I'm not surprised. Were you? No, not knowing Pete, not knowing his – his confidence level. I know him going in. He's thinking he's going to make the team, and that's the right attitude of to have. Of course it is. Yeah. And I think I, I again. I'm like you. I'm not. I'm not. You know, fluent in NBA rules, but I think I remember reading or hearing that the um, the pathway between the parent club, the parent NBA club, and the G League team is a little bit more wide open now where they can bring guys up and down easier than they have in the past. Um, maybe I have that wrong, but I think that's what it is. So that's more advantageous to maybe giving it a shot. And even if you end up in the G league, you have a chance to impress during the year and get pulled up, you know, for um, you, you have people in that organization with their eyes on you right. more with a chance to pull you up. Whereas I think before it was, I think there was, I, I don't know if there was a connection with an NBA team to the a G League or a D League team. I don't know if every NBA team had a G League team. Maybe they did or D League team. Now I'm confusing myself with the G and the D. Um but um I I, I know that the Suns have there is in northern Arizona, I believe it is, they have a G League team where it's easy to get shuttle guys back and forth if you need to do that because of injuries or, or other reasons. So um maybe that's part of the thinking as well. Yeah, there was um, – what is a call-up? And this is from the NBA G League website. A call-up occurs when a player under contract with the NBA G League is signed by an NBA team to a contract. More than 30 NBA G League prospects have received Gatorade call-up each of the past six seasons. There yeah, you know what? This is not – go ahead. I was going to say there's something two-way contracts too. I think that Okay, yeah, what... here's a two-way contract. Beginning in the 27 off 2017 offseason, NBA rosters expanded from 15 to 17 players with the addition of two spots for players under two-way contracts. NBA teams may have up to two players under two-way contracts who will spend the bulk of the season in the G League and not more than 45 days with their NBA team. Two-way players are paid corresponding daily amount based on the number of days they play in each league. Only players with four or fewer years of NBA service are able to sign two-way contracts, which can be for either one or two seasons. So you're right. Good call. Um, and, you know, no more than 45 days with the NBA team. But if you played 45 days with your NBA team, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about making couple hundred 150 to yeah. 200 grand oh yeah and, and and that's not a bad deal plus you mentioned that you know you've got the player personnel people with eyes on you uh you've got eyes from other clubs as well if you're not a two-way player if you're just a standard g league player but that two-way thing is a pretty good deal yeah and i'm sure that's you know i'm sure as i said knowing pete his eye is on making the roster right out of training camp but he's also there's there's that other option of that two-way contract that maybe he gets one of those two spots. So yeah, yeah. Um, when you break it down and look at it that way, it's it's probably worth a shot because 
like you said, if he makes 200, 250 grand as one of those two-way players, that's what he would make in Europe if he's lucky. Right, right. So, last thing for me, and it's basketball-related. John Rothstein. I'm not sure what the heck the the website was today, but he he's been with CBS before. I'm not exactly sure where he is now, but I think he's with FanRag now. Fa- yeah, FanRag, whatever that is. I don't know. I'm losing track on all these things. <laughs> um, saying that it's very likely, and, and this isn't the first time we've heard it, but this is kind of a continuation of it, that the Big Ten men's basketball season, um, I don't know if it's women too, but certainly the men, will be expanding to a 20-game Big Ten regular season no later than 2019-2020, but perhaps as early as next year, 18-19, and I would be all for that. I mean, right now, you've got 18 games, and the, and how they have it set up is you have five teams that you play home and home against, and then eight single plays. Uh, if you went to 20-game regular season, and I did the math today, you could play as many as um, seven home and homes, seven other teams from the Big Ten, uh, which is half, home and home, and then you would only have six single plays. And I think that would be a lot better. And really, from an Iowa standpoint, Rob, because we saw the the schedule last week. Um, I can't remember if that was before or after when we podcast or not. But you know, I, Iowa's got five five of maybe not six teams on their schedule for next year or for this coming season that were ranked below three hundred and fifteen in Ken Pomeroy's rankings last year. That's an RPI killer. So you add two more games against Big Ten foes. It's only going to help your RPI rating. And I think you get back to the point where if, you, if you're a Big Ten team and you win 20 games and go at least 500 in conference play, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm, I'm along the same lines as you. I, I'd be happy if they went to 26. I know. I'm just, I, I agree. I know they would never do it, but I would love them to be able to play home and home with everybody in the Big Ten and, and knock out some of those tomato cans that they, they play in the preseason. But I get the money makers at home and all the other stuff um, and trying to build your resume. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would be all 420, and I would go to 26 if I could um, because it's just in ba- – in, ba- in football, it's not as pre- you know prevalent because – there aren't as many, you know, you don't play home and homes with teams. So the, the, whoever the champion is, is you, you get more of a feel that they are the champion in basketball. The schedules are so unbalanced that whoever wins the regular season title, you got to look at the schedule and say, well, who did they beat? And that's goofy. I don't like that. Right. I don't, I don't like it either. I'm with you. I'd love it to be 26 and, and start it up in July and man, that would be so much fun. I think, you know, I'm not saying it would mean you're going to sell 25% more season tickets, but it definitely gives more bang for the buck um, for your season ticket holders because, you know, this year's out-of-season schedule, there ain't a whole lot of bang in that buck uh, at all. But whatever. The, the Big Ten slate Iowa has at home this year is pretty good. I mean, Michigan State, Purdue, Wisconsin, you get Minnesota there. It's That's a pretty good home slate for sure. Well, that flip that flips next year, though, right? Is are they on two year cycles like it used to be, where next year those single plays will go on the road, or they mix well, it up? Well, I'm not sure. And if they go to 20 games, it probably wouldn't. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, yeah, you, that's yeah true. it used to be more. It used to be predictable like that, but the Big Ten's added, you know, teams in every other year. They screwed it all up, and I can't follow this crap anymore. I used to have the the bowl selection process down to a science in my sleep, and now it just it's just all screwed up. And now, in their infinite wisdom, because they got to play in Madison Square Garden, they moved the Big Ten tournament up a week now. Stupid. So they got to cram more games in during the regular season. I think there's one week where Iowa plays three Big Ten games in a week, don't they? Yeah, three in seven days. Yeah, that's just, I don't know. I, I get it. I understand trying to, you know, broaden the fr- footprint of the league and everything like that. But you got to have, you know, there's got to come a point where it's too much is it gets to be too much. And they're, they're having media day out in New York this year. I know last year they had media day, basketball media day out in, in DC. And, you know, a lot of 
a lot of papers and media outlets that you know yeah. are trying to piece together enough travel budgets and things like that. They're just not going to go to those things. No, and they they're won't. Gonna lose, lose attention from those things. Yeah, it'll be embarrassing uh, as far as attendance. You know, we didn't talk about this last week. It was after we podcast. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was the case. So I want to pull up um, because, frankly, this this schedule that Iowa has is about as favorable as you can get it. We already talked about how favorable their their single play locations are and their and, and their home and home uh, locations. So the every Big Ten team is going to play two games in early December to cram the season, the schedule in early, to, so they can play earlier, right. as Rob just said. So on Saturday, December 2nd, Iowa will host Penn State. And then Monday, December 4th, two days later, they're going to be at Indiana. And at Indiana, never simple, but this isn't going to be a great Indiana team, in my opinion, and certainly not at this juncture of the season. I think Iowa's got a, a decent chance there to go up 2-0. And then, you know, when you get back to the Big Ten, it's January the 2nd, a month later, you open the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State at home. I think you should, you know any worse than a split and you're ticked off and then it's the three then it's three straight road games from Sunday January January the 7th at Maryland Thursday January 11th at Illinois and Wednesday January 17th at Rutgers so that's 10 days so that's not the stretch here it is it's Wednesday January 17th at Rutgers Saturday the 20th against Purdue at home and then Tuesday the 23rd against Wisconsin at home that's a pretty raw stretch there yeah, and that schedule, if I remember, I don't have it in front of me, but it's pretty backloaded in terms of oh, the, yeah. their teams. So if you're hoping with the young guys that this is a team that gets better as the season goes on, as you said, I think the schedule sets up nice for that. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you don't, I mean, Michigan, I mentioned January 2nd, but Purdue, is, in, my, in my opinion, it's the first real title contender for the league they're going to play. Not until um, January 20th. And then you got Wisconsin at home, and I don't think that they're going to be a contender either. Then the first time you play Minnesota is January 30th, and you get them at home. And you also play them again later in the month uh, at Penn State. Then Michigan State's February 6th. So, And then the only time you play Northwestern all year is at home, and that's the last game of the season on February 25th. So yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. You, can you tell I'm excited about basketball season? Yeah, I think. Are you trying to skip football season to get to basketball? No, season? I'm not trying to, <laughs> and I don't want to wish away time because I'm I'm definitely intrigued and excited. Um, you know, I would say that I'm not as crazy over the top counting down the hours to first kickoff excited as I've been in other seasons in my life. That may also, you know, have something to do with the fact that you know I'm you know three years away from fifty. Uh, priorities may be a little different, but I'm, I am counting down the days for basketball. There's the really I'm counting down the days to the start of the next three years for basketball, in my opinion. So, you'll be jacked up next week for football. I, there, my- there's no doubt that, and that's it. I, I think it's just you know maybe maybe another thing too, Robin. August, I tend to like try to still keep my head down because I know it's like it's fool's gold as we've talked about. You got Big Ten Media Day, and you think, oh, here it is, it's around the corner. No, it's not. It's another month and a week away. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, you, and, and I'm, I'm I'm preaching the choir because you're the one doing most of the heavy lifting on the content. So, at some point in time, like, what are we going to talk about today? The notebook is running low from media day, so it's time. It is time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, that'll do it for uh, this installment of the HM Podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, the Exile Brewing Company. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.